When was the last time that you found yourself in a place where you clearly recognized, I don't fit in here? I've had that experience in a lot of ways in my life, and I'm sure you have as well. Maybe it's uh, the family that you're about to marry into, and you still don't have, you still got kind of weird dynamics in the relationships already. Maybe it's being the uh, new kid on a big campus and you sheepishly have to ask somebody uh, where a certain classroom is after you just had to log into your classroom for the past two years. Uh, Maybe it's being a Christian and trying to be faithful to Christian ethics in a secular workplace that clearly has very different moral values. Belonging with others is a natural desire that every human being, every soul created in the image of God longs for and craves. We hear voices in different settings in this earth that call out for us, that we want to heed. We hear voices that say that we need to belong and we need to fit in. And I believe that the voice on earth that calls out for us to belong with others here is merely just an echo from the first voice that spoke from heaven. Even more critically than knowing how and who we belong with here on earth, today we want to ask ourselves this critical question. Who can know that they belong with God? This is the question that Psalm 15 addresses. This passage that David wrote, this song, will help us understand who can know that they belong with God. It will help us understand this desire that we all have for belonging. It will show us then the conditions that God gives us for belonging. And after seeing the desire and the conditions for belonging, we'll see the blessed promise that we have for those who know that they belong with God. So let's first look at the desire. It's simply in verse one through the question that David asks, O Lord, Yahweh, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Psalm 15 is a song of David. David, the king of Israel, lived in Jerusalem. That's where his palace as the king was. Not only was the palace in Jerusalem, but also the tabernacle, and then eventually the temple was also in Jerusalem. The tabernacle was a special place within the chosen promised land that God had given to his people. The tabernacle was situated on Mount Zion, a specific geographical location within the holy city of Jerusalem. David could go there frequently, and he often did and loved it. In Psalm, uh, in the Psalms, he said, one thing have I desired after that I will seek, that I may dwell in your presence all the days of my, li- of my life. David craved this. He longed for it. And the rest of the nation had the privilege, privilege of accessing the presence of God in the tabernacle as well, but they only came to Jerusalem 
to belong with God in his presence at the tabernacle a couple times a year through different religious festivals. And it's likely that David, when he wrote Psalm 15, that he had in mind these pilgrim worshipers who would be coming to Jerusalem several times a year. And he wanted them to be prepared in their soul to meet with God. He wanted them to know that they could belong with God. So David asked, how can we know that we belong to God? Who is worthy to enjoy this blessing of sojourning in God's tent and dwelling in his holy hill, being with his presence? This was a universally desired thing amongst the Jews. It's not an understatement to say that without the presence of God, uh, the people of God would not be the people of God. It was critical to their very identity. Moses conveyed how significant the presence of God with his people was in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 33, verse 15 to 17, Moses, speaking to the Lord, says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The presence of God with the people of God was the distinguishing mark that signified their identity. When they had the confidence of God's presence with them, Israel was at peace with the nations around them, and they could prosper. When the presence of God was with his people, they would have joy going to his presence and worshiping his people. They had peace. They had joy. They had an assured sense of their dignity. The presence of God with the people of God was the validation that they were indeed who God said they were, his chosen people, precious and beloved. The presence of God validated their identity in their peace, in their joy, in their dignity. And what David and the Israelites found in the presence of God of the tabernacle, every one of us is looking for some way today. We are all looking for a sense of being validated in our humanity that can really only come through belonging with others. It's hard to explain what it's like when we don't have that. But we know it when we feel the absence of it. The absence of a sense of belonging and validation feels like, feels like a heavy weight that no amount of achievements can ever relieve. Having no belonging and validation tastes like a sour flavor that no relationship or no romance could ever sweeten. It smells like a, a rotten stench that no amount of good works could ever cover up. We long to belong and be validated in our humanity. Everyone does. Recently, I came ac across a TED Talk by a journalist from the States. Her name is Carolyn Clark. And she helpfully explained from a secular perspective this very thing. Humanity naturally desires to be validated through a sense of belonging, and she worked to be able to accomplish that through her uh, advocacy for diversity and inclusion on behalf of people of color in the workplace. 
But in a very honest moment, she described how her work in diversity and inclusion still has limits to accomplish what she knows people desire. See, inclusion from her perspective might aim at policies that get people to the door. Diversity might aim at promotion that get people through the door. But even amongst all of the policies and promotion that you can create, belonging, she says, it's a profoundly critical issue that no program can naturally create. In her own words, she says, belonging isn't something that you can seize or demand or, demand or even earn. Belonging cannot be decreed by law. Belonging isn't like a party you can crash. Without it, an invitation, you'll never get in. She goes on to say that in practice, belonging is in essence the validation that one person bestows upon another when they simply say, I see you. I see you for who you are. And this is good. It's a good experience that we want from other people. It's something that we should strive for in our workplaces. It's good to have that from your team leader, from a teacher, from your peers, from your parents, and from your friends. But our desire for validation through a sense of belonging from one another, from other creatures made in the image of God, is ultimately rooted in a deeper desire to find our sense of validation and belonging from our creator himself. C.S. Lewis conveys the same thing that Carolyn Clark is looking from a secular perspective. In his essay, The Weight of Glory, he says this idea about being validated, being seen through a sense of belonging before God. C.S. Lewis says, It is written that we shall stand before God shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ. And some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God, to please God, to be a real ingredient in divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father delights in his son, it seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. This is the felt experience of the validation that we have from belonging in God, that the God who created you can actually find delight in you amidst all of your flaws and all of your weaknesses and all of your shames and all of your wrong, that God looks you and says, I see you. Any sense of belonging and validation that we can get from one another is wholly eclipsed by the deeper and abiding sense of peace and joy and dignity that can only be found by God himself. Who can know that they belong with God? Everyone has this desire. And David answers it. He gives us 10 conditions. See, the desire for belonging falls with conditions. What must I do? 
to belong with God. David has 10 conditions from verse 2 to the second half of verse 5. Let's read it there together. Look at the Bible together with me. It says, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does no does not slander with his neighbor and does no evil, excuse me, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Now, in reading this here, it sounds like just like a list, right? But to the Hebrew readers, this is more than just a list. This is a poetic song. Song is a really helpful way to be able to remember important information. So it's May. We just passed April. How many months are in May? Or how many days are in May, excuse me? Sorry. How many days are in May? 31. How many days are in April? Well, sometimes... When you're learning your calendar months and you forget this, you can recite a little poem like 30 days hath September, April, June, and November. Or if you've got a kid and you're teaching a kid to be able to unscrew lids and they're always doing it the wrong way, what do you tell them? Lefty, loosey, righty, tidy. Little simple poems and songs have useful and helpful ways for us to remember basic information. That's what David's kind of doing here. You can't pick this up in English, but in the original Hebrew language, there is a particular pattern poetically employed for David to be able to teach Hebrew worshipers basic instructions for belonging with God. The pattern is from verse 2 to verse 5a, there are 10 lines. And he groups these 10 lines into four segments. And these four segments rotate with positive conditions and negative conditions, then positive conditions and negative conditions. And this rhythmic alternating rotation to the Hebrew reader would be a very simple rhythmic way to remember basic instructions for belonging God. It's not comprehensive. If you want the comprehensive way of how the Jews needed to understand how to be along with God, that's Leviticus for you. This is not all of Leviticus. In fact, there's something very odd about these conditions here. If you read them again, you'll notice that none of them describe the duty that we have in our relationship with God himself. All of these conditions are actually related to the way that we need to respond and interact with each other. This is pretty peculiar. The question that David introduces us with is, who can know that they belong with God? Why does it matter if I want to know how I belong to God that I need to understand how I relate with others? David understood something very critical about what it means to be created in the image of God. Generally speaking, For better or for worse, the normal way we relate with fellow creatures is the barometer of how we actually relate with our creator. Your relationships with others 
directly affects your standing with God. We can see this reflected in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus was talking to people who were going to offer gifts to God. But even though they were going to offer a gift and offering to God, he critically reminded them that you first need to be right with others if you think you want to be right before God. Matthew 25, 23, 24 says, So if you are offering a gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Not only with offering our gifts of worship to God, but also just when we hurt each other. We look to God for forgiveness. But Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespassers. This is critical for us to understand if we truly want to belong with God and be validated in our humanity. We cannot stand rightly before God if we do not stand rightly before others. Now, these 10 conditions, I think you could simply categorize them into three groups. The way we need to treat other people in the most general sense, according to the Psalms, you can understand by three terms. Integrity, equity, charity. Integrity is who I am. Someone who's blameless before the law, verse 2. Does what is right, verse 2. Speaking from the heart, verse 2. Verse 4. Honors those who God honors. Integrity is the person who is the same. Whether you're out in public with other people, whether you're private just with your own family, or whether you're on an incognito browser, you are the same whoever you are with and wherever you are. Integrity, equity. Equity is how I act towards others, not treating other people for personal advantage, as it says in verse 5, the way we use our money or that we take money. Not uh, giving my word if I don't intend to keep my word. Equity. We treat people fairly, without prejudice, without partiality, because people aren't just products to get things out of. Integrity. Equity, charity. Charity is a heart of goodwill for, towards others. Verse 3, not slandering with tongue, not doing evil, not taking up a reproach, that's shaming, and sharing what I have own, openly, not looking to get something back for it. Integrity, equity, charity. This is quite simple to understand and critical to practice because how we stand before others is the clearest, could be the clearest barometer of how you're really standing before God. The problem, though, is that we are often blind to the way that we treat one another people. As simple as this is, the human heart is often prone to self-righteous duty before God. We are often prone to be able to prove that we belong to God. 
the inevitable byproduct of trying to prove ourselves to God and being focused on our self-righteous duty is that we will neglect to focus on those whom God wants us to show mercy to. When that happens, when we are focused on self-righteous duty to prove ourselves before God, integrity is then swallowed up by hypocrisy. Charity is swallowed up by animosity and equity is swallowed up by partiality. Essentially, when we are more focused on proving that we deserve to belong with God, we become more like Pharisees than we become like Christ. The biggest uh, sorrow of the Pharisees wasn't just that they were trying so hard to earn their place before God, it's that they were blind to how impure they actually were, though they focused so heavily on being pure before God. And maybe that's happened to you, and you don't even see it. We can be so prone in so many ways to prove that we have a place before God. I'm sure you know what your own heart is tempted towards. For me, it can just be the, uh, the opinions that other people have of me. If other people have a positive opinion before me, that's the way that I validate my humanity. That's the proof that I can be right before God. Maybe for some of you, it's a sense of knowledge, that you're just trying to know and understand more, and that proves that you're closer to God and that you belong with God and that you're pure before God in a way that others aren't. Theology is necessary to learn understand and understand, but watch out. If your only friends are old dead Puritans and you deliberately avoid eye contact with your living neighbors right beside you to read the old dead Puritans, you may be prone to self-righteousness through knowledge. Other of us boast in our self-righteous duty through what we do, our acts of service. We see what we do. We see what we are committed to. We see how much we do. We see how little others do. And we think we are more commended to God. The inevitable byproduct of self-righteousness is a, self, a sense of superiority and a neglect of care for those who God has called us to love. The neglect of mercy that Christ wants us to do. Who can know that they belong to God? In contrast to the Pharisees, Jesus shows us the true way, a better way. Jesus, in his time on earth, Jesus shared meals with people like prostitutes. He befriended the people everyone else hated, like tax collectors. Jesus touched sick people like lepers. Each of these things and more were things that Pharisees deliberately avoided because they were concerned that it would make them unclean. They didn't want to be defiled. The Pharisees wanted to purify themselves. They thought that that's how they knew that they could belong with God. When I purify myself, I can belong with God. What the Pharisees didn't understand about Jesus is that while they wanted to be pure so they could enter into the tabernacle, into the temple of God, what they didn't understand about Jesus was that Jesus himself was the temple of God. 
that Jesus himself was the greater temple. Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, was the very pure and undefiled and holy presence of God on earth in the temple of human flesh. The law and the tabernacle required people to cleanse themselves to come to God's presence, but Jesus, in his mercy and his compassion, reached out to those who were defiled, to those who were unclean, and he purified them. He touched them. He healed them. He welcomed them so that they belonged and so that they were validated. The merciful touch of Jesus could heal anyone of the physical pain of disease. But even greater, the merciful death of Jesus on the cross can heal anyone of the spiritual disease of sin in the soul. It's sin that makes us undefiled and unworthy of the presence of God. But the cleansing mercy of Christ is enough to heal and to welcome and to validate anyone who has faith in him. What did he say? I've come not for the the healthy, but for the sick. He's not come for the righteous person, but for the unrighteous. Do you see yourself as an impure, defiled, and sick sinner in needing of healing? Or do you see all of your self-righteous duty as the token that gets you into the presence of God? Who can know that they belong with God? Simply the answer is the merciful. Who can know that they belong with God? The merciful. Those who share God's heart of mercy for others through integrity and equity and charity do so with a pure heart because they have been cleansed by the mercy of God. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. When in faith you've been purified by the mercy of Christ, you are in a unique way relieved of burden that you need to work your way to clean yourself to come to God. When you are cleansed assuredly in the mercy of Christ, God looks at you and sees you and validates your humanity so that you can have an abiding sense of peace, of joy, of dignity, not that you've earned on your own, but that you've received in Christ's healing mercy. And then knowing that you have received his mercy and are relieved of the burden of trying to cleanse yourself, the Lord then next opens your eyes to see the true need of hurting people around you. And because you're no longer focused on yourself and your own duty, you can truly, without mixed motives, genuinely do good to others with integrity, with equity, and with charity. Who can know that they belong with God? The merciful. Those who share a heart of mercy for others because they have been cleansed in heart by the mercy of Christ. That is the person who belongs with God. This desire is universal. The good news is that the conditions have been fulfilled. And now in Christ, our life is reoriented 
to be able to be his ambassadors here on earth as you are the temple of the living God. And we are living stones being built up to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And now the merciful who have this desire fulfilled through the condition of Christ's mercy have a blessed promise. And the promise of belonging is in the second half of verse 5. One simple sentence. He who does these things shall never be moved. There's a lot of things that can make life unstable. I don't need to tell you that in the past two years, you felt that. Maybe you're trying to get back into the workplace now and you got to commute. And wow, it's a lot of money to put gas in my tank. <laughs> Getting back into school, unsure in high school, and should I wear a mask? Everyone else not, isn't wearing a mask. Where do I belong? We all have ways in which just it feels a little shaky. We don't know where we belong. There's a lot of things that can make us feel insecure. In what way is David saying that we shall never be moved? Though we have this sense of belonging and validation in Christ, there's a lot of times where we just feel lonely. Even though we have the mercy of Christ and are trying to show the mercy of others, there's lots of times we just still don't feel like we fit in. We still feel alone. And maybe you feel that way today when you don't feel like you belong, brothers and sisters, you find yourself in good company. You find yourself in the place that King David was. Because though he knew he could belong with God, look at verse 16. Verse 16, verse 1, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Why would David ask, preserve me? Because there were people who were trying to take away his life every day. His father-in-law was trying to kill him. His son led an insurrection against him. Even though he sought to live a life of charity and equity in integrity with mercy towards others, even though he tried to treat others made in the image of God so well, they often did not reciprocate that and were often malicious against him. And when we try to show mercy to others, we will often as Christians not be met with the reciprocated same way. Whether it's at high school, whether it's in a secular workplace or environment, or sometimes where there's just our kids who don't want to listen to us. And in that place of loneliness, we feel very unstable. We feel very shaken. But the promise of belonging is that even though Others may not receive you, and others may not accept you, and others may not validate you, and even though you may not feel that sense of peace and joy and dignity in your heart, the confidence is because the conditions are met in the mercy of Christ, you cannot be moved from God's presence. You are the temple of the living God. In Christ's words, hold firm regardless of what others do do to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The temptation is in those times when we are mistreated, that we don't want to have integrity, that we don't want to be charitable, that we don't want to be equitable. We want to fight back. But it's in those moments where we don't even just feel the same way that David is, but it's in those moments that we feel the same place that Christ was. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
that is the moment where you will prove if you are a disciple of the Pharisees or if you are a disciple of Christ. Who can know that they belong with God? The merciful. Those who have been cleansed by the mercy of Christ and who have a reoriented heart to now show that mercy to others. That person has the desire for belonging validated. That person knows that they don't need to work to God for themselves. That person, even though they are mistreated by others, can still stand firm and show mercy when they are not given it back themselves. Who can know that they belong with God? You can. Because of what Christ has done for you. Let's pray.